Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, church. The peace of Christ be with you. It is a wonderful day to gather and be here together at Christ Community Church to worship the Lord, to celebrate uh, this morning, a very important day in the life of Pastor Greg Davis and his family. Pastor Greg is going to be officially installed uh, this morning as our new assistant pastor to discipleship and spiritual formation, which means I need to hurry. So that's going to happen during our life of church this morning, Um, but it is uh, really wonderful to be with you as we continue in this series in the month of January and the first part of February, the meaning of discipleship. And so this morning we're looking at the purpose of discipleship. And last week what we talked about is what exactly is it? And it is to be an apprentice, to be a student of Jesus But what is the end goal? What is the purpose for being an apprentice and a student of Jesus? Is it merely to experience the mercy of God, merely to have our sins forgiven? It is so much more than that. But it is all of that. That God has a plan for each and every one of us. Whether you are this morning one who would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, He nonetheless invites and welcomes all to trust in him alone. We look this morning for the purpose of discipleship at the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians. We're looking at chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Hear now God's word as Paul gave it to the church. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, the promise of God, the gift of Christ, we ask that you would be present among us, that the word of Christ, that the word of Christ who is Jesus himself, not a proposition, but a person would grow ever larger in our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord, 
Jesus to be your students. Help us to rejoice in the purpose of discipleship. We thank you for Paul and for his struggle and for his suffering as a servant to the church. Help us to receive the word which he has given. Make us, we pray, the people that you want us to be. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. True to my word, I'm going to get straight into the point. There are two things that I want to highlight from this passage this morning. It is the power and the goal. The power and goal, which gives clearly to us the purpose of discipleship. Paul has spent the first chapter of the letter to the Colossian church to give what is arguably one of the highest definitions, proclamations, and revelations of who Jesus is in all of his glory and his beauty. And then he turns, after he has declared who Christ is, he turns to the church and he says, this has what I've come to do is to proclaim this to you, this mystery, which is for us the purpose. And so as we look at the purpose this morning, let's first look at the power. We know that power is important to this passage because of the way the passage ends. In the very last verse, Paul says, I will with all my labor, all my strength, struggle as long as he lives to serve the church that Christ may be proclaimed, revealed, and experienced. And he says he does it not by his own strength, but here is the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Paul says, I will, if you will, compete. This is like a word. He's saying, I'm going to give everything I have for one purpose. I will struggle, but that struggle is not based on my strength. It is by the strength that is actively at work in me. The power of God at work for Paul was central. So as we look at the power, I want you to see there are two things. First, he unpacks what this power is using this word mystery. Now, when we hear that in the English language, we think of something, well, that's, that's hard to understand, that's perplexing, or that is something yet to be revealed and we have to search it out. But what he is essentially saying, he's saying something that is uniquely Jewish, but he's meaning it for a Gentile church, because here's the mystery. The mystery of who God is in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his redemptive purposes was for the purpose of making it revealed to the people of God that was Israel. But now, through Christ, through his birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was the mystery of God, has now been revealed to the entire world, to the entire Gentile world. This is what would lead Paul to say, there is now no Jew nor Gentile. This is a global cosmic message. So the mystery is that God in Christ has been about one thing, to restore and redeem the entire world. This for Paul is a part of the power of God. Why is that? 
Because the power of God is meant to be seen in the beauty of the victory of God. This is what he's been unpacking for the first whole chapter of Colossians chapter 1. What he's essentially saying, and we went through this when we dealt with the book of Revelation in Advent, that at the very moment which Christ, who giving himself up to be crucified, nailed to a cross, for the world a moment of shame and weakness, it was there that Satan and the world and the evil powers believed they finally had God where they wanted him in the grip of death and shame. Yet Christ chose to take the weak things of the world to shame the strong, to strip the powers that were arrayed against him in the most unlikely of victories. F.F. Bruce, great theologian and commentator in the New Testament, when reflecting on chapter 1 of Colossians, as Paul reaches this end of this beautiful symphonic look of who Christ is, said these words, As he was suspended there, bound hand and foot to the wood in apparent weakness, the powers and principalities imagined that they had him at their mercy, and they flung themselves on him with hostile intent. But far from suffering their attack, Without resistance, he grappled with them and mastered them, stripping them of the armor in which they trusted and held them aloft in his outstretched hands, displaying to the universe their helpless and his own unvanquished strength. Because it would be on a Roman cross that Satan sought to shame God And yet God would use the cross of shame to strip Satan of his final power, the power of death and the power of sin. And Christ, who is our God, is victorious over sin and death. This is the power of God at the heart of the purpose of discipleship. Which means that if Christ, who in his unvanquished power, has redeemed you and me, and even if you are not a follower of Christ, he invites you to receive that power this morning. This Jesus willingly gave himself for you and for me to not merely offer us the forgiveness of sins, but the victory over the old man, the victory over sin, the victory over what we once used to be, but through him to realize life as it ought to be, to be followers of Jesus, to be in Christ. And if Christ is victorious over sin and death, when Paul would say that the beauty, the mystery of God has been revealed, Christ in you, he's saying, You, dear church, wake up that the power of God is in our midst. Because when he says revealed in you, he means you, plural. But not merely that in the sense of his presence. He means also in you individually. Though Paul doesn't reference the Spirit of God 
it is for Paul the gift of God that Jesus Christ said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit to you. And when we become faithful followers of Jesus, trusting in the grace of Christ, never merited, never earned, never struggled for, but given as a gift, we receive the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit the power of God. This is the dunamis of the gospel, the dynamite of the gospel. It is not an abstract principle or proposition. It is a person, Jesus Christ, who's given his spirit to the church, Christ revealed and in you. This, for Paul, is the ground of the purpose of discipleship. This is for him the center of the mystery that stands the revelation in Christ that God's purposes were not to be restricted to Jews but to the entire world. This is the sovereign God saying to the entire world, you are mine. I am calling you to myself. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we come, we receive the power of God, the Holy Spirit at work. But to what end? What is its purpose? Its purpose is the goal, and that is, as I said, to be apprentice of Jesus, to be a student of Jesus. But to what end? Paul uses the word here in this passage, maturity. But even that seems nebulous. The maturity which Paul is referencing and pointing to is something that at first hearing feels impossible. And that is Christ-likeness. And it doesn't mean we're to do everything that Jesus does, that we need to get up every morning and try with all of our might, be like Jesus, do like Jesus, go and be better. You know, that's not what he is saying. But what he is saying, that the power of God, which sent forth his Son, in the wisdom of God, but in the seeming weakness of man, God would redeem through a cross on a Roman hill to say that this power of God is going to take what seems so weak to man and turn it into the purpose of redemption. And if that's what God does and bringing his son through the cross from the grave and ascended to the right hand of God to send forth his spirit, if that's what God can do, how much more then cannot the Spirit of God work in us Christ-likeness? So what does that Christ-likeness mean? It means we are, if you are a follower of Jesus, using the words of Paul from his book Ephesians, we become God's work of art. Now you may not feel like a work of art, you may feel like me this morning, like a Jackson Pollock painting. But there is beauty in Jackson Pollock's art. Sometimes you might feel, oh, I don't know, like a beautiful setting, pastoral beauty. Mm -mm, most of us don't. We feel like a mess. We feel like a crayon marking well outside the lines. None of the colors match but we are nonetheless God's work of art. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 
verse 8 through 10, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That word there, we are God's workmanship, is the Greek word poema, where we get the English word poem. We who seek to follow Jesus by grace, through faith, as a gift of God, enabled and empowered by the Spirit, we become God's poem. Uniquely written across your life and my life. Your life isn't someone else's. Your life is not more important than another. You don't lose who you are, but rather God, by His Spirit, through His grace and mercy, means to work out the beauty and character of Jesus in exactly who God has made you to be as you sit here this morning. With your gifts, with your skills, we become God's poem that is an announcement to the world that we no longer belong to ourselves, but to the sovereign God of the universe, the glorious beauty of who Christ is. We become Christ's workmanship, his work of art. And it is for this purpose, as Paul says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Great is thy faithfulness, strength for today, a bright hope for tomorrow. You remember, if you were with us in the season of Advent, we said at the end of history, it's not a bunch of people who say they believe in Jesus are whisked away into the sky. Rather, Jesus is coming again to a new heaven and a new earth, and he will gather around him a people who are a reflection of who he is. The gift of eternal life is more than forgiveness of sins. It is more than salvation. It is the gift of God's presence himself. He is the gospel. So therefore, if he is the gospel, God's workmanship, God's power, God's purpose is to work out in our everyday lives who Jesus is in and through our character in and through our lives. Which means then, every life, no matter the age, no matter the profession, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the zip code, no matter the skills, you become the work of God. All of it matters. Because Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That means there is no mundane Monday afternoon that doesn't matter to God. There is no job. There is no work. There is no place that does not matter to him. For as Paul says, all things are from him, for him, and to him. And no matter what we do, 
We do it all in the name of Christ. There is no elite status. There is no priority boarding. There is no get in line first. Christ has gone before us. And we, through the work of his spirit, become those who begin to evidence and live out the love, forgiveness, mercy, and kindness of God. And I want to say to you, I am incredibly positive that God is at work. Not because of a positivity that is empty or vain, but because our positive attitude, and yes, I mean attitude, our very being, the very sense in which we wake up and look at the world, and there's so much to be depressed about. There's much to grieve. There's much to be angry about. There is so much brokenness, not only within us, but in the world. And yet, the positive attitude wins out. Why? Not because we bring anything to the table, because Christ is at work. And this Christ is at work in you and me. And He, by all the power of God, means to make us like himself. Therefore, there are no insignificant problems. There is nothing more significant than him. All he invites us to do is to ask him, Lord, come in your mercy, in your grace, in your faithfulness. Help me. Make me more like Jesus. It is not impossible for you. It is impossible for me. I can't even even imagine what it's going to look like, but you see it, Lord. Come, Lord, do this. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to know a Redeemer and a Savior who knows you from beginning to end. And he invites you to himself to give you a life that has more purpose, more beauty, and more power than you can ever imagine. And it is in the stuff of life. It's in your relationships. It's in your work. It's in your everyday life that Christ means to come and to dwell with you and to make you like Jesus. You you may reject the church, You may find religion very frustrating, but I ask you, look to Jesus. See him, his character, and know that he means to make you like him. He wants to make you his work of art. And friends, my job, Greg's job, and all those who serve you here at Christ's community, we have one job. That is to point you to Christ and to serve you that Christ, by his grace, may be made more real in you until the day he appears again. This is the purpose of the church. Not buildings, not budgets, not a number of people in the room, so that you may taste of the everlasting, unending, 
grace and mercy of Christ. And that we can become like him to be poured out like a poem into the world. That the world may see the glory of God in Christ. May the Lord do this. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We recognize our imperfections. We recognize our sin. And yet we say, your grace is greater than all our sin. We do not need to be defined by brokenness. We do not need to be defined by sin. Rather, we can be defined by the grace and power of Christ. Made new, to be made more like him. We cannot do this. We can't even imagine it, we will confess. But you see it, Lord Jesus. For you mean to make us more like you in every area of our lives. Lord, we ask you for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And may you, by your Spirit, enable each of us to struggle, to fight by all the energy and power that is at work within us, that Christ may be revealed, the hope of glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.